Hello and welcome to the Women in Diplomacy podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Sumnick. This inaugural episode features Megan Garcia. She's a senior fellow at the New America Foundation, and she's also in charge of growth and innovation for New America on the West Coast. Megan and I met in San Francisco, and one question I'm interested in exploring with this podcast, and one thing I think many of our listeners struggle with, is, is it important to have experience in Washington, D.C.? especially if we want a career in international relations. And what I like about Megan's story is she's had experience both in and out of Washington, D.C., and shows us how to blend the two seamlessly. My favorite takeaways of this interview are how to be brave and bold in your career, and also how to embrace opportunities that come your way that you may not have expected. Tell me what I can tell you. I want to put together a series of interviews with great role models like yourself and have this podcast work to inspire more young women to go into fields that will influence foreign policy. Part of the reason that we have a women, what we call a women in cybersecurity project is because New America has a great cybersecurity initiative, which is um, a group of people who come with technology policy backgrounds and kind of national security backgrounds, so that in and of itself is a blended group. And then we also have what's called the Better Life Lab, which thinks about how, among other things, how to have um, gender equity and gender parity at work and to make policies that are, are good for everybody, including women at work. And so given the intersection of those two programs, it, it made a lot of sense. People kept coming to us and saying, hey, why aren't you thinking about why there aren't very many women and eventually people of color in the in cybersecurity? It's pretty bad. Um, and so we ended up developing this work just because it was a, a natural intersection of what we were already doing. And it's it's been really rewarding. I mean, we've been doing it since um, the summer of 2015. We already were asked to go to the White House and um, have interest from a bunch of media outlets and have interest from a lot of women in the field. So I definitely think it speaks to a big need I think it's relevant to what you're up to, because if you think about taking kind of a national security um, kind of macho foreign policy culture and then merging it with the stereotype of the men in hoodies coding all night culture, you end up with a field that's not surprisingly, you know, not attracting a lot of women. So I'm thinking about a lot of this stuff in the cybersecurity context, but I think a lot of it kind of maps onto foreign policy, too. I mean, on top of that, too, I think seeing you chart this path alone, <laughs> like that was what was really inspiring watching you in that meeting is I was like, oh, my God, this is all Megan. Like, is <laughs> just sent you out. You're on your own and you're making it happen. And that's a really cool story to tell, I think. Well, would it would it help if I gave you a sense of my career? Because it is a little unorthodox. But I think a lot of people, especially if your career touches on technology, have kind of had interesting paths. Yeah. Tell us how you got started. So I've always been a little bit interested in international affairs and when I slash foreign policy. And so when I interned in college, I interned in the Senate and I worked for Senator Feinstein, who at the time actually still is on the Judiciary Committee. But I ended up working on refugee issues just because, again, I sort of gravitated towards it. And then after college, 
um, I worked for a nonprofit thinking about international trade agreements. And that was totally random. I had no design on doing that, but they needed the help. And so I ended up doing a lot of work on DR-CAFTA, um, the Dominican Republic Central America Free Trade Agreement, which was going on in the early 2000s. Um, and then I ended up going back to Congress um, because of the trade work. So I started focusing on international trade, but I was working on the House side. So, you know, if you work for a member of the House of Representatives, you do all kinds of things. So I ended up doing all foreign policy and all national security, along with some other stuff, which is crazy, but that's how it works. Um, and I was actually really surprised. So this was probably in 2005, 2006. Um, I was surprised at the time because we were so heavily embroiled in Iraq and Afghanistan that I didn't see as many really um, informed progressive positions on foreign policy and national security as I as I would have hoped for. So I, again, had no designs on really digging into the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan, but one, that was top of mind, incredibly important. And two, I really felt that there was a need for informed you know, positioning on both of those conflicts. So ended up working on that for probably the next three or four years. Um, then I went to grad school at the Goldman School in Berkeley, which is the policy school, and um, focused on national security, which is a little unorthodox for Berkeley, and just kind of did the grad school thing, which was really fun. A lot of um, econ and statistics and stuff I had not done. I should have mentioned I studied American history and literature as an undergrad, so totally switched from the things that I really love, um, you know, thinking about kind of American literary modernism to foreign policy, so just so very possible. Um, and then after graduate school, I was expecting to go back to D.C. and have a very standard D.C. career of kind of, you know, working for the House and Senate and then working in an agency, probably to the Department of Defense, and then eventually, hopefully getting to the White House, which is kind of, you know, the D.C. pinnacle. But um, all of that plan didn't end up happening because the Hewlett Foundation, which is the country's fifth largest foundation, um, had a program on nuclear security, and they wanted me to um, run it. So... I wasn't sure about it. I had never thought about working in private philanthropy. I really didn't know a lot about it, um, which is actually a little bit ironic because so much of the work that happens to advocate for issues on the Hill and inform members of Congress is funded by, by private foundations. But again, I just wasn't aware of that. So um, ended up going to Hewlett because the culture was really interesting to me, a lot of really smart, dedicated people. And I sort of thought, okay, well, Nonproliferation has never been my focus area, but I know some about it, and it's really interesting. It's hugely international. I'll give this a whirl. So I ended up being at the Hewlett Foundation for five years, most of that time really trying to fund work in nonproliferation, both domestically and internationally, that would make the field, in my mind, more capable of taking on the challenges that it faced. So a lot of the organizations working on these issues are filled with incredibly smart people, but many of them were using the same tactics that had been in use for the past 10 or 20 years. So really trying to bring in more young people, think about um, more engaging ways to use media and storytelling and all that good stuff. Then when I was at the Hewlett Foundation, uh, we got a new president, and the presidents of foundations have a lot of latitude. So this president said, I would like to look into whether to start a cybersecurity initiative. 
So that became my job um, to figure out, one, whether a private foundation could have an impact in the field of cybersecurity and information security. And two, then once we decided that it could, to actually create that program. So despite having never worked in cybersecurity before, um, created that program, which was actually really fun because as I, I mentioned earlier, I think of cybersecurity as being a blend of kind of national security and international politics and technology. Um, and it's it's in some ways a relatively new field. It's growing so fast. There's just a lot of opportunity in the field. So did that. Then, and this is the last thing, um, I moved from the Hewlett Foundation to New America, where I now am, <clears throat> in part because I was trying to fund think tanks when I was at Hewlett to do things differently. And I was surprised at the reticence a lot of them had to trying new things, even when I was, I was literally trying to give them dollars to do new things. At the same time, Anne-Marie Slaughter had come on as the president of New America, and she was really interested in rethinking the way that a think tank works. So moving an organization that had been almost exclusively focused on international and national policymaking um, away from doing just that, continuing to do it, but also learning how to really find and amplify the best local work going on in the country. So there's just so much that's going on in cities, both in the United States and elsewhere. How might an organization like New America capture, you know, all that positive movement, something that's very different from, you know, the stagnation at the federal level, and really engage people in in their communities again. So I left Hewlett to come to New America and think about that. Um, and so what I do now is think about that for all of New America. In particular, I'm opening New America, California, as you know, um, as well as um, doing work to try and bring more women into the field of cybersecurity. This is fantastic. Wow. What a journey. <laughs> And, well, it just goes to show you there is no traditional path. And I think, yeah. you know, one of the things we see all the time, in particular in cybersecurity or anything that's perceived as a, at all a technical field, is that women in particular tend to think that um, you need to have a technical background to enter the field and or you need to have you need to be a quote expert. You need to have lots of training and lots of years of experience in a field in order to enter it. And that's just not true in foreign policy and international security, I know many, many, many people who, one, don't have PhDs, two, don't have technical backgrounds, and three, may be very successful in the field because they think about it from a totally different perspective. And the same in cybersecurity. A lot of cybersecurity is non-technical jobs. A lot of it is thinking about policy or communications. I think it's important, especially for younger women, to realize that there's just a ton of opportunity in these fields um, and, you know, not to let perceived barriers keep them from applying for jobs. So one theme I'm sensing that has popped up for you in your career is going against the grain. It's so interesting to me that you showed up in Congress and you thought we should be working on one thing when you saw that there were, you know, other things going on. And then also like going back to grad school and switching topics and, and doing something maybe that wasn't traditional, even for the school that you were at. How does that feel? And where do you kind of get the courage to, to follow that path for yourself? 
You know, that's a really good question. And I think, um, I think two things. So one, sometimes I've really felt as though I am the odd one out, but that actually hasn't been at points of decision. So it hasn't been at times of transition in my career. It's been, for example, when I worked on Capitol Hill and I was working a lot on national security and most of the time I was one of the, you know, a small number of younger women in the room with three and four star generals and other really high ranking, mostly men. And then I really felt like, oh God, I'm an outsider. And that's very, you know, just visibly obvious. Um, And then those situations, the way that I kind of dealt with that was to play a little game with myself, which was, okay, so no one in this room is going to probably take me seriously when we all sit down. Let's see if I can convince them that I know what I'm talking about and have good ideas by the time we all leave. Um, And what I found was more often than not, that was the case, Um, you know, because like almost all successful people in foreign policy, you know, you do your homework, you know, what you're talking about, you develop good ideas, and eventually people respect you based on those ideas. But number two, the way that I think about career choice is um, to take the best opportunity at any given time, even if it's not what you expected, as evidenced by my you know, unorthodox career. So for example, when I was leaving graduate school and trying to figure out what to do, one other option I had, by the way, was to go to USAID and work there, which would have been a much more kind of traditional DC career. But I talked to a couple of mentors of mine, many of whom are men, and they were like, compare these two options, you know, USAID and some of the other government stuff you're looking at, you would go in as like a low to middle person, and then you'd have to be comfortable working your way up for 10 years this Hewlett job, you could have an incredible impact right now. So choose the higher impact choice, even if it's just an experiment. And so that's really guided my decisions throughout my career. And it's turned out really, really well for me. um, Because I think it's just about being open to what's exciting to you at, at any given point, and kind of letting go of your expectation for yourself, even if it's difficult. So that ties into another theme that I've just in your short description of your career that I've noticed is creating something from nothing. It sounds like that's definitely what you did multiple times at Hewlett. And then that's what you're doing currently by starting the New America Foundation out here in California. How does that feel? What challenges do you face? How do you overcome them? Where do you get that strength to keep going on on a path like that? Yeah, it's funny. I keep telling people my next thing, I need to not be building something from scratch because I I do think it takes a kind of a certain kind of energy to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I really love it. uh, But it can be exhausting. So I think for me, what's been important is one, I, as I said, I really think about my career in terms of the highest impact opportunity. And a lot of times the highest impact opportunity is doing something new. But it can depend. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's working from within an organization and making change. And I think it sort of depends. And I've definitely weighed those options. But in terms of creating new things, I mean, I think it's just so rewarding to start from scratch with a problem, you know, a big thorny problem and and think about, okay, for example, with the Hewlett case, should this multi-billion dollar funder enter a new space what would the impact be? What would the impact not be? Is it worth it? Who are we going to benefit? Those kinds of questions are really interesting to me, which is, I think, why I'm a policy person at heart. 
and the same with New America. You know, who can we engage? Can we really excite people about getting involved in communities? What's the experiment? And I think kind of the enjoying the experiment is what makes creating something new really fun for me. And I think for a lot of other founders of companies and, and nonprofit organizations and other things is if you, you're probably familiar with um, the idea of a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. So um, briefly, growing up, I think I had a fixed mindset, which is thinking I have a certain amount of intelligence and everyone else has a certain amount of intelligence. And in every problem, I'm either going to get it right or get it wrong. And that's not really going to change. As I've become an adult, I have tried actively to switch to the growth mindset, which is that thinking to yourself um, about yourself and others, okay, well, I'm going to learn in this particular instance, and I'll be able to do it better next time. Um, Same with everyone else. And if you have a growth mindset, setbacks and failures and failed experiments are just ways to learn and do it better. And so with that in mind, I think that the experiment of all of these new things is really, really fun. And trying to bring other people into what you're passionate about can be fun too. This is so great. I was not familiar with those terms. And and I think that is really, really good for our audience to hear, especially young women. Yeah. So, so just for background, Carol Dweck is I'm I think her name, I don't have it in front of me, who was at Stanford, pioneered the idea of the fixed mindset and the growth mindset. Definitely encourage everybody, including especially overachievers, to read because, you know, I would describe myself as an, as a, a recovering overachiever. Um, I think if you can, you can switch. So switching from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset can just make your life so much easier and you can be so much easier on yourself in a way that's really productive. What advice do you have for young women interested in in getting involved, especially in, let's say, a typically male-dominated field of like national security and, and cybersecurity? Were there any experiences that for you really challenged you as a female? Oh, God, yes. So many. I mean, there were so many times when I just felt incredibly frustrated that because I'm a young-looking person in general, so you know, a young looking woman in a field like, you know, nuclear security, there were just so many times when I was frustrated that I felt like I wasn't being taken seriously because of who I happened to be. Um, And that really sucks, you know, there's no sugarcoating that. That said, I also think in fields where, you know, there is a lack of diversity, there are people are so hungry for diversity, for good and bad reasons. And I would say the good reasons are, you know, there's research that shows that diverse teams are more successful in creating products and creating new ideas and being innovative. So lots of people in those fields are hungry for new ideas, because they recognize that. And they're also hungry for, you know, diversity, because they sort of just know it, it should happen. Um, So, and as many times as I felt isolated or excluded because I'm a woman, I also felt like I had more opportunities because people were just sort of like, hey, you're different. I wonder what you have to say. Um, So I think being strong during the times where you feel awkward or excluded or not heard is important because you will get to those moments when people really value you and listen to you and are really excited about what you have to say. And just knowing that, you know, all women in the field have probably felt the same way at some time. And the way that I think about it is, 
okay, well, probably the women coming after me are going to feel this less and it's great. So how can I, how can I help them? How can we stay in touch with your work? I think the easiest way is through New America's website, which is newamerica.org. And on the website, there are links to New America, California. So you can see the work that we're doing in California, which is really all about trying to engage more people in public, public problem solving. Um, and then you can also see the work of the cybersecurity initiative, including the Women in Cybersecurity Project. So I'd encourage anybody who's listening to stay in touch with us that way, come to our events, provide us feedback. We'd love to hear from you. Any closing thoughts or, or final advice? Um, I would say, you know, have a really diverse group of mentors and have it be men and women. I've had, I think some of my most passionate mentors have been men. Some have been women. Don't, don't, you know, exclude anybody. And also, um, I think listen to and learn from your peers. Some of my staunchest allies are, you know, doing similar things in other fields or similar things in the same field. And we've all really helped each other, again, men and women, helped each other navigate job questions and transitions. And, um, you know, from a young age onward, we've been incredibly helpful to each other. So think about mentors who can help you who are older, who can really champion your cause as a person and your career. And then, you know, think about kind of peer mentors and how, how you can help each other as you kind of grow up together in the field. And then, you know, be willing to take risks. It's scary. I think it can be even scarier if you feel like a minority group in a field already, but those risks can really pay off.